turn with me. We're going to start today in uh, Luke 18, verse 9, and then we're going to park in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, but start in Luke 18, verse 9. We're in a series that we are uh, looking at where Christianity and culture collide and uh, where truths of the Bible and things that the Bible holds forth and how they are very different from the ways of this world. And two weeks ago, uh, we had an opportunity to open up God's Word and we, we discussed why gender matters. We, we looked at why gender matters, that God made a man, Adam, and He made a woman, Eve. And, and we've, we saw from Scripture that that was on purpose, that God could have done anything He wanted. He could have created anything He wanted, and He created it specifically, and gender matters. And today I want to follow up with that and, and in, this, in this study of marriage by design. Not only does gender matters, but roles matter. And unfortunately, all of this could not be compacted into one sermon. I understand I go long enough as it is, and so we split it up in two, and, and that's, un, that's unfortunate, only because you don't really get the whole picture. And my fear is, is that when we talk about gender matters, and when we talk about homosexuality, and it's very easy for us to have an attitude that walks away feeling real puffed up inside towards yourself and real judgmental toward others. We, we can become very arrogant towards our own sin and, and, and uh, assume the lack thereof and very judgmental towards the sin of others. And, and what I want to look at today and is really to help us to understand the fact that we don't get off the hook. God, God's not satisfied just because by His grace, we marry, if we're a man, we married a woman, and if we're a woman, we're married a man. God, God's not satisfied just because of that. That's not the end-all, end-all of marriage. God's not saying, well done, Chris, you, you married a woman. He, does not want, he doesn't want any of us to walk out of here arrogant towards that. And, 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 and look, look with me at Luke 18. I think that's the danger for all Christians. I think that's the danger for us not only with regards to marriage, but with regards to other things. To, to belittle our own sin and to exaggerate the sins of others. See, because some sins are very public. And, and hear me, some people make their sins very public, and that's a whole different issue. But some of our sins are private. And we can put a good picture out outwardly, we can paint a real good picture, and yet inwardly, we're dying. Behind closed doors, we're, we're just as sinful. And listen, listen to what it says in Luke 18. This is... This is this is the reason why we're going to share what we're sharing today. This is what I, I pray that we as a church won't be like. At least one of these guys. And he told this parable, starting in verse 9, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. You see right off the bat, that's the danger for all of us. To see ourselves as righteous. To, to think that we've earned our righteousness to think that God was wise in saving us, to think that we're better 
this somebody else simply because of our, our sexuality or our, or our, our gender or, or our desires. To, to forget that I am who I am by the grace of God and I, I desire women by the grace of God. That, that He has spared me by the grace of God to not desire man relationships, that which is unnatural, by His grace. I desire what is natural and not as unnatural. Do you understand? It's grace. And it's the same for you. That, that's God's grace. Listen to me. Viewed others with contempt. Listen to what he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, I mean, there'd be no, no more opposite than that. Pharisee, tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. L listen, listen to this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Not bad things in and of themselves. That, that's the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm not like them. Here's my fear. My fear is that that's sometimes the way we literally think or that's the way we come across to people outside the church. God, I am so thankful I'm not like them. As opposed to the tax collector. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing some distance away was, e was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I mean, what a contrast. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think the danger, again, is that we walk away from a sermon two weeks ago, and if we're not careful, we're, we think like the Pharisee. Listen, it's very clear biblically, and, and I'm not going to back down on that. I, I want, our, and neither should you, but, but 1 Peter 3.15, where we started, we, we are to give a defense for the hope that is in us, but we are to do it with gentleness, and we are to do it with respect. And the Bible's position on homosexuality as a sin is very clear. And, and we'll, we'll deal with that. We haven't even dove in, in, in... Is dove in a word? Is it? Dwayne says it is, and he's smarter than me, so I'm going with it. We have not even jumped in to that. We simply looked with regards to marriage. It is clear that that is a sin. But, but what is also clear is that we are called to love and come alongside people struggling in their sin. Because here's the reality. You and I struggle in sin. And, and what I want to see today is, in some ways, I feel like equally we need to be put in our place and understand the weight and the gravity of a, a man and a woman and our roles. Because when we see our roles in marriage as compared to what they were intended to be, I think if we're honest, all of us will walk out of here humbled. 
Husbands, when you see the fact in a moment that you are to play the role of Christ, you are to give yourself up for your bride. You are to love her as yourself, even to the point of giving up yourself. How you doing? Fall short? Wives, that you are to subject yourselves to your husband in everything. Everything. How you doing? And here's my point. Every single one of us, sin is sin is sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we, can't, we can't walk away from sermons two weeks ago and, and think that not struggling with homosexuality and simply being married to someone of the opposite sex gives me license to think that my marriage is successful in God's eyes. That, that I, hey, I stayed the course. Okay, that's good. But I think we'll see today that what God intended goes way beyond that. And we can become to become real puffed up with pride and, and think we're okay because we're not like them, so to speak, like the Pharisees said. Rather than, than humbly seeing ourselves before God, one beggar to another. One, one beggar needing grace, and by the grace of God I am who I am, and, and instead go out as a beggar having found grace, wanting to share with other beggars who are in need of that same grace. I, I have flaws as a, as a married heterosexual man, just like a homosexual has flaws. You have flaws as a heterosexual wife, just like a, a woman battling with homosexuality. And it's real easy for us to focus on the sins of others and to overlook those of our own. And even in that, that would be sin itself. See, that, that's the struggle with us. I, I'm so sinful that I don't even realize how sinful I am. My own sinfulness dulls me to my sinfulness. That, that's the dilemma. I, I'm so sick, I don't even know I'm sick. And, and what I want us to hear today is, is not, there's a couple of extremes. One extreme is walking out of here two weeks ago and thinking we're all puffed up. Thinking we're better than someone else. The other extreme is to think, well, I'm never going to say anything to anybody about their sin. That's not what the Bible says either. We are absolutely to confront people in our sin, but we do it humbly, we do it respectfully, we do it gently. We do it in a way where we come along people and say, hey, you know what? Let me, let me, let me talk, I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense of I'm struggling with sin just like you are. I, I, I'm struggling being the wife that God called me to be. I'm struggling being the husband God called me to be. But here's the reality. Jesus Christ died for both of those sins. He died for my sin and struggling with being the husband that I'm called to be, just like he died for the homosexual who is battling desires that are unnatural. If there were no such thing as homosexuality, listen to me, Jesus Christ still would have had to die for Chris Basham's heterosexual sins. He would have still had to die because Chris Basham fails to be the husband to Karen Basham that God has called him to be. Please hear that. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sin in various ways and in numerous ways. And that's what I want us to look at today as we conclude marriage. I, I, I want us to be to, to walk away understanding not only does gender matter, but how we fill our roles matter. And, and the reality is what I want to see is this. Our lack of willingness and humility and pursuit of filling the roles that God has called and portraying a picture of marriage accurately might have something to do with why people are falling short in other ways. We might just be part of the culprit. Our lack in heterosexual marriages and our lack of pursuit of God's design might be part of the reason people look for other ways to pursue marriage. Because clearly what we're doing doesn't seem to be working sometimes from the outside. Do, does the world see a difference? Is there, is there something going on in here that would motivate others to look for other alternatives? I don't know. I'm just asking the questions. Because homosexual marriages fall short of the glory of God, but so does a husband and a wife who are heterosexual but refuse to embrace the, the pattern and the model that God has held out for us in Ephesians 5. And, and so today I want to look at that why was marriage designed as it was? Why was it designed as it was? What was the reason? Last week we saw that God designed one man, one woman. Why did He do that? If I asked you that question today, what, what, how would you fill in that space on your handout? Underneath number one, not that there's number two, but how would you fill that in? If I said, why was marriage designed as it was, what, what, what would you fill in there? Who, who would your answer center upon? Would it, would it be about you? Or would it be about God? Would it be about your spouse? Would it be about raising kids? Would it be about your happiness? Or would it be about someone else's holiness? Because how something is designed and what something was designed to do is important. I think all of us would raise our hands where we have taken something that was designed for this and we have used it to get this and we've seen the disastrous consequences that that, that could bring about. You know, scissors are great for cutting paper. They're not really good for running around the house doing other things. We've all been there where it's like, oh, this is what I got. Let me use this to do this, and, and it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. Oftentimes it doesn't. And, and we do things in ways that it wasn't intended, and someone gets hurt in ways we never intended. Repercussions come about in ways we never intended. Look, look with me at Ephesians 5. Flip over to Ephesians 5, and... This is a familiar passage. I, I want to go back to the basics. I, I want this to be a reminder. We've preached on this before. But if you're like me, you have a tendency to forget. If you're like me, you have bad habits that can be hard to break. If you're like me, you struggle with loving yourself more than loving others. If you're like me, you wake up in the morning ready to serve yourself, not necessarily ready to serve others. That can be a challenge sometimes. Now, the Holy Spirit of God breaks that and, and moves me to do that. The Word of God reminds me, but there's a battle in me. L listen to Ephesians 5. 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. What I want us to understand and what these verses teach us this morning is that God designed marriage the way he did for it to be a parable. Marriage is a parable. It is a, a parable is a picture. A parable is a story. It is a visible picture of something that might not be visible. A, a parable is something that teaches a greater truth. And the greater truth behind our marriage is this, that God is giving us the opportunity to paint a picture of His relation, His Son's relationship to His bride, the church. That, that's marriage. It's about, it's about a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. It's about a wife respecting her husband and following her husband the way that the church follows Christ. God, God designed marriage to be a picture of the gospel. And what we learn from chapter 5 of Ephesians is that, that literally God's covenant keeping love is on display, is meant to be on display between you and me, husband and wife. Covenant keeping love. As a result, we can never have a, a view of, of marriage that is high enough. We, we can never really understand marriage and, and its weight e enough. God's love is beyond compare. The way that He loves us and as Daniel sang and led us in song this morning is beyond compare. Listen, what it teaches me, and, and at the very core, this is where culture and Christianity collide. My marriage is not primarily about me. It's not about me. We live in a self, we live in a culture that has so many words that are, it is self we live in a self-hyphenated society. Self-slash-fulfillment, self-slash-realization, self-slash-actualization, self-slash, self-slash. You know what we're doing? You know what we're telling on ourselves? Who's the center of all that? You and me. Then you factor in our sinfulness, it becomes almost impossible to sit here and accept these truths and, and seek to live them out because my flesh, that old nature, is fighting it. 
the, the Bible is, is, is counterculture because Jesus says over and over, there's a self, but that self needs to be crucified. That self needs to be denied. A self needs to be put away. Even in our passage, it, it, Paul assumes that. No, look, at, he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. We love self. Now go love others the same way. I mean, that is completely counter to our culture. It's opposite. And, and if we're honest, most of us, this sweater's not doing too good with this little cord here, it's aggravating here. If we're, if we're honest, most of us went into marriage with a very selfish ideal about what it was going to be like. You were looking at it from your perspective, not, hey, you know what, I, I, will be I didn't go into marriage just looking forward to dying for Karen. Hey, I think I'm going to get married because I can die for somebody. Let's be honest. And you didn't either. You didn't say, I mean, you didn't just say, I want to marry you because for the rest of my life, I want to die for you. But, but that's the picture. I, I went into marriage for, for a lot of other reasons. And so did you. And what, why we come to the Word every day is because those things are, those are the things that are killing our marriages, that are robbing our marriage. It's those things that, in which our marriages are falling short that we need to be humble and repentant about. I mean, we, we want to think that the other person, the person I marry, primarily exists for me. And there is an element of that. They are your helper. But, but, but we are so sinful that even, even our best deeds done for our spouse, if we're honest, are oftentimes self-motivated. We do this for them because you know what? They better do, they, I got something they need to do for me. Even our dying sometimes, even our self-sacrifice is self-motivated. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this or I'm going to do that. In the back of your mind, you're thinking about how your spouse better repay you. And, and, and it's true. That, that's how utterly, utterly sinful we are, that even my best acts can be motivated by self. Even my sacrifice can be motivated by self. And, and the, that is our culture. That we want everything to be about me, everything to be about my happiness. I want to be the center of everything. Everything is ultimately a means to my happiness. Students, I, I, I pray that you don't, don't tune out on something like this. One day, you're, 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 some of you are old enough to be dating. Some of you maybe think about marriage and all that. Your, your flesh is going to tell you, find the, the prettiest or this or that, and you're going to want to get married for all the wrong reasons. And I'm going to tell you, Karen married me, I had a full head of hair. Guess what she gets today? There's a lot of things about Chris that, that, that you got to realize almost everything about Chris is going downhill physically. Downhill. If she would have married me, because you got a great head of hair, think about how disappointed she'd be today. If she'd have married me because, oh man, that guy is so good at golf. Think about how disappointed she'd be today. And when we marry for all these crazy reasons, 
bodies and looks and all this stuff versus a, a man or a woman that's chasing after God. See, 1 Timothy 4.8 says, says bodily discipline is good for a season, but you know what? Godliness is good for all seasons. All seasons. He may be a hunk for a season. He ain't going to be for the rest of his life. She might be for a season. And, and admittedly, the world we live in, it's become hard. If we're honest, it is hard for us to fathom the goodness that God gave in marriage because of the hurt that we see in marriages, the way that we've hurt one another. The way that we have, we all have friends that even as we preach this, we think about how a, a husband or, or a wife has just utterly, I have the power, here's the, I have the power to, to hurt Karen in ways that nobody else in this congregation has. When she married me, she put a lot of trust and faith in me. And the same for you. And unfortunately, natural man and, and its capacities have, have, have hurt what God has intended for marriage. But, but there is, I, I want us to see today, there is a huge responsibility. There is so much at stake in how we handle our role as husband and wife. Not just, not just from a manhood or a womanhood, but how we play that role out. And that's the weight of what I want us to feel today. To see, the, to see the opposite approach that the Bible puts forth to marriage regarding what our culture has said. It goes way beyond just simple sexuality. The, the reality is this, that we're playing out a parable. You, you and I, husband and wife, are, have parts to play in this. And the, the responsibility is this, we better play our, pole, or we better play our roles accurately. We, we need to feel the weight of this so that we can portray Christ accurately because we're telling the world something through our marriages about how Jesus Christ loves his bride. And beyond that, we, we live in a culture that, that doesn't want to take responsibility. We don't want personal accountability. I will stand before God. Will I go? I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That gets me into heaven. One day I will stand before the Lord and I will give an account for everything that I have done as a believer, including how I loved Karen Basham. I will give an account. Just simply saying I do isn't going to cut it. Just simply, Chris, do you love Karen? I married her, didn't I? That ain't getting it. I give her my paycheck every two weeks, and I, I, I love her. I show up every night. That's not it. See, the, what we're playing in marriage, the picture is, is huge. The stakes are huge. The costs of not doing this are huge. Obviously, listen to me, obviously, homosexuality falls short. The danger for all of this is to become very self-righteous towards other people's sin and neglect our own and fail to see how my role right now as a husband may too be falling woefully short. And your role as a wife today may be falling woefully short. And all of those are sin. I think we will see that we have all betrayed the model. Look, let me start with husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Think about that. 
Husbands, you play the role of Christ. How did Christ love his bride? He died for her. Everything he did was for her. Everything. Everything he did was for her beauty. It says that he might sanctify her. The word sanctify there, it literally means to set apart. The question becomes this. Does your husband, does your wife feel set apart from everybody else? Does she feel set aside, set apart from every other woman? Does she feel set apart from work? Does she feel set apart from sports? Does she feel set apart from your friends? Does she feel set apart? Or does she feel like she's competing? Is she competing with other people or other things for your love? I, I don't. Here, here's the challenge. Christ made it very clear in how he loved us. That's my job, is to make Karen feel that she has no competition when it comes to my love, other, th other than Christ. And my love for her flows through Christ. I want to make that very clear. Because we can become idolatrous even when it comes to our families. We, we can love our families so much, and I hear it all the time, excuse for doing other things that we ought to be doing. God designed, listen, God designed the role of a husband to be a reflection of Christ's love for his bride, the church. Four times in Ephesians 5 here, husbands are called to love their wives unselfishly, even to their own hurt. Even to their own hurt. That right there runs totally opposite. I promise you, you go talk to your unsaved guys and you say, you know what, I'm giving up flag football or I'm giving up this so I can spend more time with my wife. You know what, they're going to they're gonna look at you like you're crazy. To give up, what? Well, just, just make it all work. Is there anything, can, can you say you've given anything up to pursue your wife more? Or did you just throw your wife in the mix of everything else? That's just one more responsibility. Again, totally opposite to what it means uh, to be the head. In our world, we see the head as someone who just gets it done and this and that. No, no, no. Biblically, you know what the head does? He dies. He sacrifices. Matthew 20, 28. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give himself up as a ransom. He gave himself up. Why? That we would be holy and blameless, that our sin would be separated as far as the east is from the west, that I would be sanctified, that I would be righteous. You know, the, the world encourages a husband to lead with selfish motives. The Bible says lead with sacrificial motives. The world says, hey, love your, love your wife as long as there's something to get for her and love her to get what you want to get for her. The world says, hey, hang in there when she's beautiful, compelling, worthy, when it's convenient. Totally opposite of the Bible. The Bible commands husbands, you see it on your handouts, to love their wives not for who they are, but for who Christ is. I look to Christ and I say, how have I been loved? Okay, Karen, and, and listen to me. All of us fall short. It, it is very hard to stand up here. My mother-in-law is sitting over there. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law are sitting over there. 
We vacation together. We've done a lot of stuff together. You want to know what a moron I am? Just ask them. I've seen that look many times from Barbara where she wanted to just kill me. Now, she was gracious and didn't. She wanted to. A principle came out in her. Karen, ha- Karen ha- unfortunately, she, she has cried on my, because of my actions and lack of love. We've all fall short. Don't, don't walk out of here forgetting that. We all fall short. But here's the point. Are we moving in this direction? Are we repentant? Are we remorseful? Are, are we trying? What does the world see when they look at you, husband, and how you love your wife? Do they see anything different? Do they see anything different? Do they see a sacrificial love, a love that makes your wife feel completely set apart? And if I could sum this up, because I also want to be fair to the husbands and get to the wives, if I could, if I could, if I could sum this up, husband, it's this. Love your wife by taking responsibility for her and your family. Take responsibility. That's the very thing that Adam did not do in the garden. And every single one of us men are prone to do the same thing. To blame others. To abdicate responsibility. You go to Genesis 2. Eve was not alive when God gave Adam the charge of what fruit to eat. It was Adam's job to lead Eve in that direction. When Satan came, it says Eve ate the fruit and she did what? She gave some to her husband who was with her. He didn't take responsibility. At the very core, if you want to drill it down to one thing, it's this. Husbands, take responsibility. Because listen, who did God come looking for? Adam. Where are you? It's his, it, it's his responsibility. The, the rise and the fall of our families, men, that, that is our responsibility. The spirit, you, you, if you, if you think about it this way, you're the thermostat of your family. What does a thermostat do? A thermostat dictates the temperature. And your wife, your wife is a thermometer. A thermometer simply reflects what the temperature is. Our our wives will tell on us real quick regarding the way we're leading. They'll tell on us. They're simply thermometers that reflect what the thermostat has been programmed and what the thermostat is trying, the temperature that the thermostat is trying to get to. A thermostat says, you know what, here's what the temperature of this house is going to be, and I'm going to maintain, I'm going to make sure I maintain that temperature. That's what a husband does. You put a, now, and and hear me, I got a a thermometer on my grill that doesn't work real well, so it's not always a perfect scenario when I say wives reflect the leadership of their husbands, but oftentimes it's the case. Take responsibility. Husbands, you know, don't be okay with misrepresenting the gospel here. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't, don't say, I'm glad I'm not like such and such when you know you've fallen short. That lacks humility. It lacks gentleness. It lacks respectfulness. It lacks everything that we started this sermon with. Rather, 
it really our role as husbands and the weight of that ought to create a humility that allows us to come aside others that are struggling with humility and say, hey, you want to, let's struggle together. We may both be struggling, but let me introduce you to the one who covers up my struggle. We all sin in many ways, in many portions. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ who paid to forgive me of my struggles. See how those are different? It invites another sinner, whoever they are, to come along with you and struggle with you. Not feeling isolated or sick, like my sin is worse than your sin type of stuff. No, we all struggle. If you're like me, husband, and you, 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 you read these and, and, and these things, I've had to preach this to myself for the last two weeks. I'm fully aware of shortcomings. Fully aware. The question is, is how you doing, guys? How you doing? Are you harder on the sins of others than you are on yourselves? Are you satisfied with, with basics of marriage versus really pursuing Christ-likeness in marriage? If so, repent. Ask your wife, I dare you to ask your wife, how can you feel more nourished and cherished? The, the answer may sting in our pride, but, but ultimately, it goes back to taking responsibility. Hey, how can I make you feel more loved? How can I make you feel more set apart? What are some things that maybe I can give up to help you, to serve you, that you would be without spot or wrinkle in the sense of frustrated and, 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 and all the responsibilities that our wives bear? The, 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 I hope you see that the, the bar is high, but, but not only for husbands. Look at 5.22, we read it. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives be to, ought to be to their husbands in everything. Talk to a, talk to a woman in our culture about submit, and you better, you, better be, you better have some guards up. Our world don't want nothing to do with submission. And you can trace that all the way back to Genesis 3.16. Wives, your desire will be for your husbands, and he will rule over you. You're going to want to take his job. You're going to want to lead instead of following. That's just part of the fall. That, that word desire there, is, is it unhealthy desire? People will try to make that out to be a, a sexual thing. Trust me, that wouldn't be a curse for a guy. And I'm going to leave it at that. It, it is a desire to rule over your husband. And in return, he's going to rule over you in a negative way, fighting for that leadership. But again, submission, not just submission, submission in everything. See, here's the deal. When you and your husband agree, wife, that's not called submission. That's called agreement. That's agreement. Submission is when two people don't agree and somebody's got to make the call. And God, for whatever reason, has declared that the man makes the call. And guess what your response is? Apart from it being something sinful, you follow. Now, can you influence your husband? Absolutely. Go to 1 Peter 3. Wives, when your husband's over, interestingly enough, it says, without a word... I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> but by your respectful and chaste 
behavior. You know what it is? You know what he's saying there? Hey, you be obedient even when he's not. And you let God use your obedient behavior to change him, to convict him. It's essentially Romans 12, 19. Hey, you say, well, I have people coming to my office and say, you know what, my husband has come my enemy. Well, what does the Bible say? Love him. What does the Bible say? Do good to him. What does the Bible say how you treat your enemies? Pray for them. Pray God's blessing over them. Counterculture. It's not the way our flesh wants to respond. And again, you go to 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker because they are what? A fellow heir of the grace of life. The fact that wives subject to their husbands has nothing to do with inequality or inferiority or anything. Totally equal. The fact that we stand up against homosexuality has nothing to do with equality or being created equal. It has everything to do with sin. Sin did not create our roles. Sin simply made our roles harder. That's Genesis 3, 15 and 16. That's part of the curse. Think through this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three of them equally divine. None of them inferior to the other. Yet John 4, 34 says, Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. For the sake of the gospel, Christ, though He was equal to the Father, voluntarily subjected Himself to the Father. He didn't become any, not, he didn't, wasn't less equal, fully God, fully man. He simply subjected Himself to the glory of the Father. He says, I do nothing for my own will, but I do everything according to the will of the one who sent me. Submission has nothing to do with inequality. Listen to in 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. This is about order. This is about, it's about humility. Even Christ, Philippians 2, he humbled himself, taking on the form of a man. Why? To accomplish the gospel. Husbands, wives, clothe ourselves with humility in our roles. Why? To accomplish a picture of the gospel through our marriages. Not approaching other people's sin with arrogance. It's about humility. It's about understanding the grace of God. It's about understanding that we all fall short in many ways. And yet Christ's death and burial and resurrection and belief in that is is salvation. Wives, you are picturing how the church responds to Christ in how you follow your husband. You're telling the world. But not only telling the world, you're telling your kids. Husbands, wives, I I spoke at a... um, I led a couple sessions yesterday at a, at a marriage uh, conference. And, and that was a, one of the things I, I, I shared with them about. What we're doing, it goes so deeper than us. We're modeling for our kids. I, I'm modeling for Bradley what a godly husband looks like. I'm modeling for Sarah Grace what to look for in a godly husband. Karen is ma- modeling for Sarah Grace what a godly wife looks like. She's modeling for Bradley what to look for. And modeling is huge. I, I mean, think about this. All of us have had that moment in our lives where we realized that we were more like our parents than we swore that we would ever be. Agreed? We've all had that point. 
where I said, I am Terry Basham. And Karen sees it too. I am Norma Basham. Model. Models, what is taught. And, and, and that is the reason why marriage is worth defending. The, why, the reason why we care is because the gospel is at stake. Salvation, literally the picture of what procured our salvation is at stake. Will we struggle? Absolutely, we will struggle. Will we suffer? Absolutely. You can look at 1 Peter 2. It says, Christ who was given his example of suffering, that when he was reviled, did not revile in return, but what? Kept entrusting himself to the Father. Are you struggling? Entrust yourself to the Father. It's very easy. This is what I, it's very easy for us to find fault in, in homosexuals and either other heterosexuals and how they've distorted marriage. That's very easy. It's very easy for us to sit here and point fingers. But what I'm begging us is do not play the role. Don't do that. Don't, don't play the role of the Pharisee in Luke 18, 9. Don't sit here and think, man, am I glad I'm not them. Here it is. Man, God, I am, I am so humbled by your grace in my life. I'm so humbled at what you're doing in my life. God, help me even now to be a better husband. God, by your grace, help me even now to be a better wife. And, and also, Lord, by your grace, help me come alongside those who are struggling, others who are struggling, whatever it is, and introduce them not to my perfection, not to how I'm better than them, but to Jesus Christ who is perfect, who is able to do far greater than anything we ask or think, Paul says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly beyond Anything we ask or think, to Him be the glory forever and ever. I am what I am by the grace of God. You are what you are. David Platt said this. Let this one sink in. And it's there on your handout. The primary reason the gospel is not clear in marriages across our culture is that the gospel has not been clear in our marriages across the church. Think about that. I, I read that statement as I studied, and the primary reason the gospel is not clear in our marriages across our culture is that the gospel has not been clear in our marriages across the church. See, don't, don't blame others. Look at ourselves, L look at our lives. If we want to point fingers, point fingers at the person in the mirror. None of us have perfect marriages. And one of the hardest things is standing up here telling you what the Word of God says because I have many family members and close friends who can give you clear examples, unfortunately, of where I've failed. And, and all of us have made marriage about things that it shouldn't be. All of us have fallen short in judging other people's sin harder and more vigorously than we've judged our own. The good news of the gospel is this. There is grace to be found and efficient and sufficient grace for wherever you are can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. See, it's not only to forgive our sins, but it's to live out what it means to have our sins forgiven. 
Not, not only is the gospel good for initial salvation, it's good for living out that salvation in a, in a, in a world that's opposed to it. Matter of fact, it's the only way we're going to live it out. It's by being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 says. It's through, it's through being filled with the Spirit. What does it say in Galatians? That we would not gratify the flesh. The, the only reason why you and I are not worse sinners than we are and struggle in areas that we don't is the grace of God. Purely the grace of God. And the good news for all of us is this, Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, guess what? Grace much more abounds. The last thing I want to do is pastor a church that spends its time pointing fingers at others. Will we come alongside others and call out their sin? We will through relationships, and we will do it with grace and humility with regards to our own sin. Because there are some very obvious ways that people have fallen short of God's glory. And yet, if we could see in yours and my life the way that God sees in yours and my life, there are very obvious ways that you and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And I want us to be a church that, that deals with our own sin with a greater fervor than, than, than and that, motiva- that motivates us to deal with other people's sin because they see us dealing with ours first. And the humility that flows out of that. Start today. No matter where we are, the good news of God's grace is this. You can start today. 